I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. Hello, and welcome to On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men, the podcast that explores and explains boy behavior. We're your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink and Janet Allison. Join us as we discuss some of the most compelling issues facing boys today. Our goal is to equip you with the information and support you need to help today's boys grow into healthy, happy men. Boys and sports. It is a big issue for boys, for families, for schools, and for communities. Parents who have kids in sports, you know that it can be overwhelming and can kind of take over your life if you let it. But today we're going to talk a little bit about the opposite end of the problem. We're going to focus on boys who don't love sports, boys who are not particularly sporty, whose interests lie elsewhere, and who sometimes feel left out when so much of boy culture revolves around sports and around competition. A few years ago, I ran across a book, and the title of this book is The Last Boys Picked, Helping Boys Who Don't Play Sports Survive Bullies and Boyhood. This was published in 2012, and it is by a psychologist named Janet Sasson Edgett. And I was attracted to this book, certainly because it's boy-focused. Janet also has an 11-year-old son. So this is something that she was dealing with personally and professionally. And when I read this book, it really, really resonated with me and, and made me think about reality for a lot of these guys. We have an excerpt here that we wanted to share with you to tell you a little bit more about this book and, and why we're thinking about this. It's not easy being a non-sporty boy in this country, home of the Marlboro Man and seven-figure pro athlete salaries, and where it's assumed that being faster, stronger, louder, or mightier is always going to be better. By the first grade, these boys have already learned that their disinterest or lack of aptitude in schoolyard measures of masculinity is going to set them apart from the other boys on the block. Some navigate the marginalization or bullying better than others, 
who succumb to years of depression, anxiety, social isolation, and low self-esteem. Things get better eventually, but that's a long time for a kid to wait on the sidelines. One of the things that struck me with this book, she not only talked to boys, but she talked to adult men. And Mm -hmm. she shared with the adult men in her life, I'm working on this project. And people had stories to share, as you can imagine. And as we were preparing to do this podcast, I was talking with some of my friends and um, one of my adult male friends shared with me a vivid memory from first grade. And it was, you know, they're, they're playing baseball in, in gym class, which is about as American as you can get, right? National mm-hmm. pastime, at least before the NFL took over. And he so distinctly remembers, you know, being up at bat and swinging and hitting the ball. Like he managed to hit the ball, but then he would throw the bat. Like he just could not manage to hang on to the bat and he'd throw the bat and everybody, you know, yelling at him. You could tell, like he's 55 now. And this still brought up, emotions and was one of the vivid memories of his childhood that stuck with him. Wow. Right? And I, I mean, this calls up for me just the difference in develop, physical development, physical maturity that kids have to deal with all through mm. school. And, you know, maybe by the time he was in third or fifth grade, he could have held on to the bat. But being in that pressurized situation in first grade is just, uh, you know, a lifelong trauma, it sounds like. You know, for me, as I was reading this book, it's focused on boys. I have a soft spot because this whole last pick, yeah, that was me in school. Me too. Okay. <laughs> we're so we're so here. alike, Jen. This is oh, yeah, always. So I you know I could relate to that pain, but at least as a girl, and especially as a girl growing up in, you know, in the seventies and in the eighties, I didn't have that layer of masculine expectations on top of it. And I know that it's, you know, 2018 now, but boys still have all these expectations on them that they should be physical. They should be tough. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you saw some of that in your years as a, a teacher as well. Well, and where it really comes up too is when the dad has been physical and athletic and has his sport, whatever it might be, and now he has a son who isn't drawn towards those physical outlets. And Mm -hmm. so that's a real, that's a challenge for the family to face together. Mm -hmm. That is a big issue that that comes up often in this book. You know, one thing that you and I talk a lot about the importance of movement for boys, which as a generality stands, Mm -hmm. but we need to acknowledge that not all boys need the same degree of movement. Not all boys are drawn to sports. Not all boys are going to want to shoot hoops in the driveway as a way of dealing with their anxiety or their anger. And part of it is the drive towards competition. And I think it's partially this idea that we can give our boys their place to find their own personal excellence. And it might be for one kid, it might be how many hoops can you, you know, how many baskets can you make? But for another kid, it might be, I am awesome at playing the saxophone. Mm-hmm. And for another kid, it could be robotics. And to see all of those things as their sport, if we mm-hmm. want to call it a sport. Yeah. But it's their, it's their interest. It's their passion. 
and to recognize that not all boys will have football, basketball, baseball be their be their sport. But you know, I'm also laughing inside, Jen, as we're talking about this because I I came to sports very late, like <laughs> seriously late, like in the last two years. I I've started playing table tennis. Okay. Everyone laughs when I say, and they're like, oh, that's ping pong. That's ping pong. No, it's table tennis and it's a sport and I'm really serious about it. But it's just so interesting. The messages that I get as an adult woman playing a sport and how, you know, it's still kind of discounted. You bring up a really good point, Janet, because there's this messaging in our culture about what counts as a sport and what doesn't count as a sport. So pretty universally, people recognize, you know, football, baseball, uh, and basketball, mm-hmm. especially in boy world. Those are the three big ones. Mm-hmm. Soccer is also there um, right now too, especially um, for a lot, of, a lot of kids and in a lot of places. But beyond that, there's this, it doesn't count. That's the thinking for a lot of people. So I hear what you're saying, table tennis, is a sport. It is an outlet. <laughs> but for a boy who might be interested in table tennis or a boy who may be interested in gymnastics or in ice skating or in rowing, those things are not necessarily thought of within boy culture as sports. And it can be hard for them to navigate that social pressure. Excellent point. Do you think that in some ways, this pressure has intensified on boys. You know, when I was in school, sports were a school thing, and it, it tended to start around, you know, fifth grade, sixth grade. I was shocked and stunned as my kids are growing up, like now sports are starting in first grade, second grade. By third grade, you're on a travel team somewhere already. Right. The pressure, just like academic pressure, yeah. has filtered down to our little kids. And I, I actually have several clients right now in my, in my coaching practice, family coaching, not sport coaching, who, are, who have five-year-olds, four-year-olds, six-year-olds, and they are wanting or feeling the pressure to get them into an organized, structured sport. And I keep telling them he does not need that anxiety. And I think this is a seed of anxiety Mm -hmm. for our kids is this pressure to perform. And, you know, if your kid loves it and he's happy and he's ready to go every day, great. But if there is even a little bit of reluctance or he's feeling the peer pressure, performance pressure, stop it's okay. Give them another year. Start it again next year. But don't feel the pressure of, well, everybody else is doing it. So I've got to have my kid in t-ball and all of those things early on. Give him time. It gets so tough when that becomes a big part of their social lives as well. And for the parents, I live in a small town. So where I live, there's not a lot to do. And once your kids get school-aged, the kids kind of tend to socialize partly through participation in sports teams and the parents socialize in the bleachers at the sports events. So 
if you have a kid who doesn't want to play t-ball or isn't interested in t-ball, it does have a social effect on both the child and you as a family. So what are some things that families can do to help build their child's self-confidence and keep those social networks strong, even if you have a kid who's not drawn to sports or who you know likes it but doesn't want it to become their whole entire life? You got to get creative. You had mentioned before that um, the importance of sort of figuring out who your kid is and paying attention to those cues. That is so important, I think, because our kids are constantly sending us signals about what matters to them and what they care about. And there's almost always a way to build and reinforce those interests. So uh, some of mine showed an interest in fishing. Mm -hmm. One of my oldest son, actually, he did participate in sports when he was younger. Um, He got to be about seventh grade and he quit baseball because he wanted to spend more time fishing. He realized that the game times and the practice times were what for him were prime fishing times. So I recognized that for him, that was more important because that was who he was at that mm-hmm. point in time. Mm-hmm. Good for you. And I think it is this place where we do have to listen to our kids. And when when we do, then we can stop butting heads in so many ways mm-hmm. and we can deepen the connection with our kids. And, you know, it may be something completely foreign. I'm, I'm guessing, Jen, that you may not have grown up fishing, but maybe you did. I don't know. But, but it's like, it's an opportunity for us as the parents to go, wow, I get to learn about a whole new thing and it gives the boy some pride to be able to say, yeah, let me tell you about yes. the latest fishing lure and the technique. And you let him be take the lead. And, and that is an amazing way to connect with your boy is to when he steps into that place of the educator, the leader, let me tell you about this thing that I'm passionate about. And you are the interested, curious audience for that. Or at least faking it well enough in the moment. I have had so many conversations about fishing lures and fishing techniques. I don't care about fishing at all, except for that my children, some of them are passionate about it. Right. So I engage in those conversations and I, I have a picture of me somewhere where it is me with my hood up holding this little baby Northern in the rain because I went out fishing with my kid because I told him I was going to, but that was not my idea of a good time. Let me tell you. Well, freezing yourself on the sidelines of a soccer game isn't all that much fun either, but the things we do for our kids. Right. And you know, if you look at it that way, it's funny. It may be because I was the last girl picked often, I don't get as excited about kids' sports events when they play as do some parents for whom this was really, really important to them. This isn't my idea of fun. So maybe it's easier for me to not take it super seriously. Mm -hmm. What does Janet say in her book about these parents who grew up as very, very sporting, athletic, either husband or wife, mom or dad, and now don't have a kid that's interested in sports. How, how do you bridge that divide? One of the first things she talks about, and I think this is uh, so key, is to get real with yourself and really figure out what's going on with you and 
why is this so important to you that your kid does or does not play sports? Why do you have the feelings and the reactions that you're having to your kid, you know, maybe just totally being uncoordinated and not interested and really dig into that. Dig into what's the role that sports played in your life. And once you get clear about that in your own mind, it's important to separate your stuff from your kid's stuff. So get real about your stuff. And then she talked about um, what we had mentioned also, you know, really looking at who is your kid. Are there other ways you can connect with your kid? And then she also talks about one of the things that a lot of grownups like about sports is, you know, that teamwork and camaraderie and learning to overcome obstacles and practice. And these are all extremely important things. So if that is your goal for your child, are there other things that your kid could do that might help him develop those same qualities? Good point. What do you think? What are some of the things that you share with families when, you know, maybe so often it it does end up being a dad who is maybe really hard on the son. And there may be a mom saying, hey, hey, just please back off. Like, he doesn't like that like you do. Those are tough conversations for a family. Yeah, they are. And you know, I think ultimately every parent wants to do the best by their child. And so when it is drawn to their attention that, hey, this is clearly a difference, where can you find the common ground? Mm-hmm. And it may be age appropriately for the boy. It may be also that he decides that, sure, I can do this with dad because it's an opportunity for us to do something together, but I don't love it. And it is about finding other interests that you can do together as a family or as especially a dad-son combo. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that can simply be scheduled time, but unstructured time. Yes. So that, you know, Saturday afternoons are dad-son time and they can decide what they want to do. I have one family who dad and son go out every morning before dad goes to work and son goes to school and they kick the soccer ball around for about 20 minutes. Wow. He's in first grade. And I said, you know, this is laying down the pattern and the bonding and the safety and security in this 20 minutes that is going to hold you as he goes through the roller coaster of (laughs) puberty. And this will be the place where he asks his questions and you guys have those conversations and you've established this so early and habit as a habit that it's going to hold you. Do that same connection via something like gardening, for instance, or cooking with a kid that has different interests. It's having some time to connect. Yes. And cooking's a great one. Who doesn't love to eat good food? Right? Yeah. I don't like cleaning up the mess, but I sure like eating it. You know, one of the other things that Janet Edgett mentions in her book, The Last Boys Picked, is to really just talk about this stuff and put it out there. You know, kids know when they are not the athletic kid in their class. They know that. It is in their face all the time, especially if they are in a place where this is important. And it is more important in some schools and some communities than others. Kids see that. They feel that. Not only do they see it, they know exactly where they rank. My son recently told me that on his basketball team, he is the fourth best. That's not just I'm the best or I'm in the middle. He is the fourth best. And I should point out that there's like seven kids on the team. So that does mean he's in the the middle. But they know this stuff. 
And so she said, you know, talk about it early and often. Don't shy away from talking about, you know, his discomfort or the role of sports in our society and the way they're celebrated and depictions of men. You know, maybe we do need to make room as a culture for other other celebrations of other ways of being. You know, we celebrate the Super Bowl. That is a huge deal in our country. Um, the Tony Awards, not quite so much. For some of us it is, but right. these are things we can talk about with our boys. Yeah. Yes. And and I think mentioning the big sports, the Super Bowl, those big events is how it does play a role in our world and what are the positives of that and what are the negatives of that? And and that wraps into all the other conversations you want to be having with your boy about money and oh. fame and morality. And are you a good person just because you make a hundred million dollars per football season? Does that and make you a good person? You know, one of the other things that I found useful with my kids that aren't super sporty and don't care so much is to give them just enough sporting knowledge that they can sort of pass in conversation. A specific example of that was after the recent Super Bowl, which I watched because I cared and uh, one of, at least one of my other guys watched, but my 12-year-old didn't. He doesn't care at all about football, not NFL football. So he was heading to school the next day and I said to him, I'm like, okay, Sam, here's what you need to know. Who won the Super Bowl yesterday? And he said the Eagles, like he was aware, he came in the room for pizza, right? Like they all did. (laughs) And so he knew that. And I'm like, that's the information that you just need to get through those conversations the next day. Who won the Super Bowl? Sharing those things can sometimes just give them the information that they can fudge their way through or be involved in the conversation, Mm -hmm. even if they're not getting super into the details of, you know, who caught the ball and made the reception. It's a social tool. We all kind of have to have that. Knowing which teams are playing is important. Yeah. You know, another thing to think about for some boys, this can become so acute that it actually interferes with their interest in school. It can create a lot of anxiety about going to school. It can create a lot of anxiety about recess. I mean, if what the boys are doing at school is playing football and your guy doesn't want to play football, that's a huge problem for him. Right. And what do you, what do you suggest for communicating with the school about that? Or what does Janet suggest in her book? You know, definitely talking about it with the school. She points out to both teachers and families to watch for some of these signs of anxiety. You know, a a kid who says he doesn't want to go to school, especially on days that he has gym class, Mm. you know, if you know when that is, or a kid who always gets a stomach ache before recess, to start paying attention to those things. And she really advises for schools to have other physical things that kids can do so that it's not all sports. Make sure there are other activities. Even in gym class, think beyond those big three or four sports and include things like maybe foosball or archery or uh, aerobics or dance. I think schools are getting better about that, but think of some of those things. Reaching out to parents and to the community to somebody like yourself, Janet, you know, uh, table tennis is a sport. So let's introduce kids to that also. Absolutely. And, and uh, I know many men actually who are in the table tennis club now, they play at work and it's an oh. outlet for them. And that kind of brought them into the sporting side of it, you know, from the ping pong side of it. And, and ping pong's just fun. So how can 
some of these athletic sporting, I put that in quote, activities, just be like, let's just get together and have fun. And it's a great outlet for boys and girls to socialize. And so to kind of open up the view for our schools, it would be really helpful. One of the things that Janet suggested in her book, which I thought was really good also, was that it can be good to help a child find an ally. So if you have a child who is really uncomfortable on the playground, you know, maybe you can work with the teacher and the school to find somebody else um, on the playground that maybe he can connect with or somebody, you know, a year or two older. And she even mentioned that some very proactive schools will go so as far as assigning boys who are maybe that little bit older to sort of be a mentor and come up with some activities that other people can participate in so that there's not this one kid standing over here or two kids feeling awkward on their own. I love that. I do too. I do too. And I know it's not easy to make happen, right? If the dominant culture of your community or your school is sports, it can be really hard to be the parent saying, hey, this isn't working for my kid. Mm-hmm. And what are we going to do? But it's worth that effort. And even if you don't manage to achieve great change, the very fact that you're willing to go to bat for your boy makes a big difference, doesn't it? I love the metaphors. Yeah, go the to fact bat. that I use a sports <laughs> metaphor to talk about boys that aren't loving sports it, it is an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it just, you know, it's another statement on our culture. It is a great outlet for a lot of kids. And it's not if it's a pressurized situation, if it's anxiety producing, if a kid doesn't want to do it, then we've got to support him and parents do actually need to go to bat for their for their kiddos. I always love hearing from other families, you know, what are the issues they're dealing with and what are the solutions that they have found? You know, there's what I found to work in my family, but I'm making it up every day as I go, just like everybody else listening, I'm sure. Yeah, so I hope hope our podcast listeners will comment below. It's so great to hear from you and let us know what great things your sons are interested in other than sports. Thanks for joining On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.